You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we have a really good episode, and we're going to be talking with Derek DeMunn. Now, Derek, he lives in Southern California, and here is his here is the story you're going to hear. This is the abbreviated version. Dude is uh, lives in SoCal, grew up surfing, grew up snowboarding, um, and like traveling all over the world snowboarding being basically a snow bum a backcountry uh, skier and snowboarder and um, he was headed in that direction in his life he was working construction dude falls off a roof and goes through he becomes paralyzed life is now in a wheelchair and he goes through five years and I'm talking five years imagine, imagine five years of this of just emotional darkness um feeling sorry for yourself feeling sad um feeling confused you know everything in your life now has changed in your in in some ways kind of in a prison sentence in in this wheelchair and then through faith through family uh he got a kind of a second opportunity at life when his uncle invited him to kansas for a deer hunt and the rest, my friends, as they say, is history. So it is a really, really good episode, man. I love these conversation episodes where you get to learn about someone, uh, someone who is in a place that if I walked down the street and said, hey, I'm a hunter, I would probably get shamed, right? Or, you know, some some stuff like that. And the other, the other thing is the dude decided, you know, he pulled himself up. He had a great family system. He had a great family structure. And he ends up, guess what? Finding a new passion that gives him the same excitement as his old passion. And uh, he gets he gets the job done. So, uh, awesome episode. I know you guys are going to enjoy it. But before we get into today's episode, um, Kansas just recently passed a 
or is in the process of passing a law about banning baiting across the entire state for residents, for non-residents, for public, for private. They just passed a trail camera ban on public land this year. So um, a lot of things are changing in Kansas. And I wanted to talk with a couple people uh, who have hunted Kansas in the past or are non-residents and residents. So the first uh, person that I wanted to reach out to was uh, Justin Czar. Most of you guys know Justin Czar. He has been a guest on this podcast for, oh man, several years now. And one of the states that he likes to hunt is Kansas. And so uh, let's listen to what, uh, what Justin has to say about hunting in Kansas and the, uh, the I don't know, I guess the potential law change. Uh, for me personally, I don't really care. I've never really been a fan of baiting, to be completely honest with you. Um, I, you just hear all these stories of, of people that live in places where you can bait, where it turns into like, well, I don't want to bait, but if I don't bait, my neighbor's going to bait, and then he's going to have all the deer, so I got to bait too, and then I got to put out more bait, and it's just like this vicious cycle, it seems like. And I just think there's a ton of big deer that are killed over bait. And for me, like, that's not really hunting per se. I mean, I guess we all do it for our own reasons, personally, however you may feel about it. For me, again, personally, it eh, doesn't really bother me at all. Yeah. I never planned on hunting over bait. And I, honestly, I've avoided going to Kansas with certain um, outfitters that I've, that I've had relationships with or talked to where they kill all these giant deer over bait. I've had people that have bragged to me that like, yeah, we've got all these leases. There isn't a tree on them. It's nothing but grassland. The neighbors have, you know, maybe some, some, a little bit of timber or a Creek line or something like that that holds these deer. And he's like, we go out there and we just dump tons of food, you know, right off the property line. We put tripod stands and box blinds up and then we shoot all their, their big deer over, over feet when we suck them off of their property onto yeah. ours. So like, I don't know, where's the, where's the fun and sporting adventure in that? Like for me, like whatever, ban it. It's not going to bother me at all. Right. Um, one thing that I was thinking about, and I want to get your thoughts on this is some of these places that are pretty desolate. Um, let's just say, uh, Kansas, um, and even parts of Texas or Oklahoma where there, there, there really isn't a lot of food. And the only reason that deer are in that area is because of year-long uh, baiting and feeding uh, of, of these animals. What happens when, if, if a law like this was to be passed in an area like that, what happens to the deer population at that point? Do you really think that the deer population is being sustained or increased just because of baiting? I feel like there's plenty of natural forage around mm -hmm. for them to eat. I don't think it, it's helping them survive yeah. or thrive any more than they would be in the natural habitat. So I'm not worried about it affecting deer populations as a whole. Gotcha. Hell, the populations may go up because they're going to kill less of them. Yeah. Could, you know, yeah. I would imagine you get a lot more food plots <laughs> in the ground yeah. in a lot of these places, you know, in the future if they, if they outlaw the food plot in the bag. Yeah. Do you think that there is a direct correlation between, and, and this is an assumption at this point, because I even uh, uh, certain states 
as far as doing research on CWD, I, I don't know if they've ever had the ability to say, hey, this deer got CWD from a bait station or something like that. Do you think there's a correlation between uh, deer illness and sicknesses and, and baiting piles or mineral licks? Sure. I don't know how there couldn't be, right? I mean, if you're talking about transmissibility between animals, anything that concentrates animals together, you know, where they're ingesting each other's saliva and urine and feces that are going to be all around those areas. Sure, I promise you it would increase the spread. But I mean, as we've seen in a variety of places, like it doesn't stop it. Right. Maybe it slows it down. There's probably an argument that maybe it slows it down a little bit. But I mean, there's plenty of places that have CWD and that it's spread, you know, far and wide that you can't bait or feed. So yeah. I don't think that is like a main contributing factor to it. I've never thought that like if you're going to ban baiting in my mind, like it shouldn't be a CWD thing, because if, if you got it, it's there. It's not going anywhere. It's going to spread one way or another. I think maybe they're just trying to slow down that that spread is kind of the excuse that they use. But again, we have plenty of proof. Illinois, for example, we used to be able to feed deer during the off season here. As soon as they, we got CWD, that stopped. And, you know, in 20 years, CWD continues to get more prevalent and spread, even though we can't put out bait or minerals or anything. So, again, like, it's not a solution to the problem. Maybe it's a temporary slowdown, but that's really about it. Right, right. And let's let's just say, with that said, then, um, do you feel that, uh, like, baiting should or should not be banned or are you just kind of hey man i don't give a shit <laughs> i'm kind of in the i don't give a shit category you know i i'm one for less regulation personally so i mean i guess if i had to err on either side i would say just let people do what the hell they want to do and, and don't over regulate meaning no more additional laws but again, I'm not going to cry about it or lose any sleep from from my perspective of like what I think hunting is about and fair chase and, you know, all that jazz. Like, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of like the way a lot of people look at like a giant deer that was killed with a crossbow or with a rifle. Like everybody kind of looks at it as like an asterisk next to the next to it like yeah but you did this but right you know dude there's a lot of giant bucks coming out of kansas early season every year and they're all getting killed over over bait piles but right. nobody's putting the deer next to the bait pile in their trophy photo they're just posting that picture of that 180 190 200 you know that they killed and they're getting all their you know accolades and their attaboys yeah. But like they don't like come out and be like, yeah, killed this one over a bait pile early season in Kansas. Right. You know, so I don't know. Again, I don't I don't really care either way. But I would have to say if I was going to err on either side, I'd say just let people do what the hell they want to do. Uh, like they want to bait, let them go bait. I don't care. It doesn't affect me at all. Would Would you be now? Let's just say I, I flipped the script and this whole thing was happening in Illinois and Illinois, Illinois is not a baiting state, but what if there was legislation being introduced to, to allow, baiting. allow baiting in Illinois? Are you pro or against? Is this where I get to be a hypocrite and say I would be against it? Yeah. You, yep. Cause that, <laughs> Fair enough. Yep. You can, you can say whatever yeah, you I want. I mean, if it's already there, you don't have to get rid of it, but I don't want it here. Yeah. I just, man, you just, 
I think you hear this, and like the two states that I think of the most are Kansas and Ohio, where it's like every person that I listen to and every podcast that I listen to, they're like, if I don't bait, I don't have the deer because my neighbor's baiting and he's putting out just truckloads of corn and, you know, it influences deer movement and all this stuff. And, and just like, I just, I don't, I don't want that. You know, I don't want to have to do that for one. I don't want to have to spend any money. I mean, how much money are these guys spending on corn truckfuls of corn to put out there? Like I got that money. Right. So yeah, no thanks. Keep it out. So I wouldn't mind being able to put out minerals. Yeah. Mostly just for trail camera data. Like I'd love to have a spot that could concentrate some deer and that I could get pictures of them, especially during the summer months, you know, right. but hunting over bait. Nah, I'm good. So the, the question I have, and I, I want to talk in generalities here across the entire state. And I know there's a, a lot of different ecosystems in Kansas, you know, to way out West where it gets real dry, almost deserty, no trees types sure. of types of conditions. And then we have Eastern Kansas, which has more trees and ag and things like that. Um, if baiting is banned in Kansas, do you feel that hunting would suffer or get better? I feel like hunting gets better. I think it gets harder for a lot of people, which in turn, I think makes it better. So the next person that I wanted to talk with is actually a Kansas resident. His name is Brett. He's been on the podcast before, and uh, these are his opinions and thoughts on the potential Kansas baiting ban. So it's kind of a mixed emotions on it. Um, as being a bow hunter and really trying to get them in close to me. Um, I I personally don't hunt over bait anymore. I used to, um, but I use it for my kids, um, getting the deer in close for them, uh, is is huge. And, And just being able to have them the opportunity to be able to see deer on a consistent basis as opposed to one or two deer just strolling by on a natural path um, and then getting them inside of crossbow range for a kid or even <clears throat> even my dad who's 70 years old, um, getting, getting them in close to them, it, it's a lot easier to do when they're sitting in a blind as opposed to me who can run and gun and, and I don't need to sit over a bait pile. I, I like to catch them off guard, but um, that that's kind of my thoughts on that. I, I can see both sides of the fence there that, you know, whoever has the biggest bait pile and whoever has the most uh, feeders out is usually going to win. But at the same time, it takes away a little bit from the, the, uh, old way of hunting, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, you mentioned real quick that someone who's able-bodied and, um, like you don't, you don't have a problem for it for yourself. It's basically for, uh, you, your concern would be, it, it definitely does help the youth get deer into shooting range and someone who is potentially elder, elderly. Correct. And, you know, my kids don't, rifle hunt you know if if we if we rifle hunted then yeah of course i mean we wouldn't need the the corn pile because you can reach out two three hundred yards and shoot them but um 
just for for youth in general and i think it 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 will hurt our tags uh the amount of tags that are being purchased and the amount of deer that are being harvested if if they do ban the the baiting because you're going to lose a lot of new hunters you're going to lose a lot of hunters that were on the fence that weren't diehard they just went out to do it and you know because they it was more convenient than the diehards like myself and yourself that really just like to go after them right now the question that i i have been asking myself is I talked to some guys out in Kansas, in certain parts of Kansas, certain parts of Oklahoma and Texas. Man, it is really dry out there. And so what I've heard from residents in those states is if we don't bait or uh, feed deer year-round, there's there, there, won't, there wouldn't be any deer in the area for us to hunt. Do you think that's an accurate statement? Uh, I, I think they're just... I don't, in my area, I can't speak for everybody, I guess, but in my area, there would still be deer um, because I have not been baiting in my personal hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I live around a lot of crop fields and catch them coming to and from. Now, <clears throat> I do, like when it gets super cold, I'll I'll put out alfalfa bales for them yep. and just kind of help with their their health more than anything that way they can get the protein and the nutrients and not have to move very far gotcha gotcha but Um, that's typically after season yeah so one of the reasons uh, that i read uh, for this potential ban is that they are worried about cwd and other deer illnesses what's the word on the street in either your neck of the woods or in Kansas as a whole about CWD or EHD and things like that? We don't really have a problem. I mean, I've heard of maybe one case out in Western Kansas, uh, in Northwest Kansas that had CWD, but other than that, I haven't heard of anybody else. Right. Um, EHD hasn't really been a problem either that I am aware of. Not like Iowa and Missouri that they've had mass yeah. populations dying off. Um, we just have not had that. And I don't know if it's, we're very lucky, but it, deer congregate with each other anyways. I mean, they're, yeah. they're not a solitary animal. So whether you're have you have a bait pile or you have a, field, a bean field or a food plot, they're, they're still going to be there eating on the same, in, in the same area. Right. Right. Now, as someone who lives there, do you know guys who are religious baiters? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so what, and this is an assumption, you know, obviously you can't speak for them, but uh, is there going to be a lot of people pissed if this, if this law goes through? Yeah, there's going to be pretty much everybody. I mean, unless you're just a purist, um, the trad guys have really become the ones that are, you know, pulling for this, I feel like, but for the most part, th- they would be the only ones that I can think of that would be happy for it. Right. Right. And, you know, what other, what other areas 
do you think would suffer if there was a baiting ban? I, and I, I'm just speaking from social media here. Um, there was a pretty, uh, a pretty big celebrity who came out and he's like, you know, here's a list of all the people you need to call to stop this from going through. Uh, because there's a lot of people out there who make their money selling bait and selling corn to ranches and, you know, deer ranches and, mm-hmm. and people who do that. Do you think that that would have a big impact on the economics of the state? Uh, I don't know about a big impact, but it would have, it would definitely have an impact. Um, whether it's in-state hunters or out-of-state hunters, it's going to make it more difficult for anyone. And, I mean, you look at your local Walmart to your tractor supply to your, you know, your local Cabela's, everybody is, I mean, they're going to feel it. Because when August, September, October, November rolls around, you can see people buying corn and anywhere and everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And so based off this, uh, I want it like good, better, best versus, you know, uh, do you think that deer hunting will suffer or improve or maybe, maybe even stay the same? I don't know. Um, once or if this ban does go through, uh, I think, I, I think it would suffer a little bit because you're not going to have near as many people out. Um, the deer, the doe population would increase to where you don't have a good buck to doe ratio. I feel like, okay. and then you, I mean, you're not getting the quality of, of bucks. Maybe. I, I don't know. I can't, I, I can't do anything but speculate. That's just yeah. my opinion. Yeah. And maybe heck you may have, a bunch of monsters running around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel, and this is just my two cents at this point, um, people who are used to something and when there's a big change to their strategy, like a, a, a law, that's a, a change to their strategy. Like, uh, mm-hmm. the recent trail camera ban on public lands in, yep. in Kansas, so somebody, if they want to continue to shoot high caliber deer, right. They're going to have to change their strategy up to, to do yep. that. Now, um, you take baiting away, the deer are going to spread out more. Uh, this mm-hmm. is my opinion or congregate at other food sources, because depending on what part of Kansas you're in, um, and I'm not a Kansas expert by any means, um, people with river bottoms or creek bottoms or that have the cover, they're not going to, they're going to be the ones with the deer as opposed to a big cattle pasture that has a gigantic, um, feeder in the middle of it and that's the only reason the deer are there so so it's gonna like from a strategy standpoint i feel like those people are going to feel it the most but as as hunters often do they find ways to adapt and and make something else happen maybe that means that uh, food plots become more popular or or turning cattle pasture into egg ground becomes more popular or even doing more habitat work like planting trees and planting uh deer cover grasses for deer cover correct and i think you would just you would take your your everyday guy your blue collar guy that can't afford to do food plots right. or buy ground he, he has permission and you you would eliminate some of those guys and the 
hardcore, the guys with money that can do all these things can put in the food plots. They're going to, they're going to succeed a lot more. So, I mean, it's a catch 22 there. I did that little segment on very short notice. So huge shout out to Justin, huge shout out to uh, Brett for taking time out of their day to do that. Really appreciate it. Um, And now we're going to get into today's episode. But before we do, I do have to run through some commercials real quick. Uh, I just want to send a shout out to to the brands that have supported me. Um, I like the personal connection with a lot of these brands um, and it, it, not only do I have confidence in in all of their equipment, but the people that I've been working with, some of these relationships are, are new. Some of them have been since the beginning. I believe, uh, let's say for example, Wasp is probably, you know, is my longest running partner of the podcast. And I've had the opportunity to not only use their products and, and be confident in them, through years even before the partnership but the people man i've got to know the people that work there and i'm really looking forward to uh, continuing and and using these products uh you know a lot longer so huge shout out to tethered if you're looking for uh, a saddle go check out tetherednation.com if you're looking for badass broadheads a majority of their heads are made in america wasparchery.com uh, discount code is NFC20 for 20% off. Another company with great products for the working man and have an absolutely awesome culture at their at their uh, company, Vortex Optics. Um, if you want to learn about how you can save 10%, do me a favor, hit me up through Instagram and I can give you a discount code um, on this Euro Optic website. And so it's the same Vortex Optics. They don't sell them direct, so I have to get a discount code through a different website. So vortexoptics.com, code blue. Really looking forward to uh, um, building a relationship with this company. I love the fact that they they sell the Rope-A-Dope, uh, uh, the Rope-A-Dope mock scrape kit. I'm, I got like three of them I'm going to be setting out across all of the, um, you know, across everywhere. Uh, all of my properties and I'm looking forward to that I'm looking forward to getting out and starting to hack some stuff up with a woodman's pal oh wait I gotta back up a second code blue eh, discount code 20% off NFC20 for 20% off uh, codebluesense.com woodman's pal woodman's pal uh, please go out and uh, check out that company if you are a habitat manager if you um, need something in your truck that's going to be tough and sharp you'll be able to hack vines uh, thing it's it's been around since 1941 go check it out woodbinspal.com and then last but not least huntworth man uh, um, again a, a group of people who this is a this is my first year working with them but a group of people that i'm very excited to get to know these guys are passionate they're down to earth there's no chip on their shoulder and uh, I, I really like working with them so far on top of that they have they have amazing gear for a really good price point i mean it's high quality and it's affordable so go check out huntworthgear.com and da, 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 that's it let's get into today's episode and you guys are definitely going to enjoy it. Take care and good vibes in, good vibes out, and we'll see you on the back end. 
three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson. We've got an interesting uh, guest today. His name is Derek DeMunn, and uh, you're, out of, you're out of Cali? Yeah, Southern California. So, Southern California. So it, I, I'm, I love the direction that this podcast is going to go because... I think I've interviewed one other person from California who's uh, like a, a hunting nut now. And like, if I was to go to somebody and say, tell me one thing about California, they'd, they'd, they probably wouldn't mention hunting at all. Or, or that's not where a lot of hunters go to hang out or, or live. But what it does mean, that, and you're on the podcast, is that hunting is all over the place. And uh, I'm really, I'm really interested to to hear your story. So thanks, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. So, uh, like, I really like the timeline style of interviews. And you reached out to me on Instagram. You said, "Hey, dude, I got a, I got a unique story. If you're interested." And, and I was like, "Yeah, dude, let's, uh, let's get it lined up." And so, have you? Were you born and raised in Southern California? Yeah, I was born and raised uh, yeah, about an hour south of Los Angeles in a, a surfing community called Huntington Beach. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I uh, heard, that, heard about uh, that. Yeah, there's a handful of hunters out here. Yeah. But uh, I have to be one of them. So. Okay. And so, like, as you were growing up, was there any hunting culture or anybody else that you knew like who hunted with anybody that you hung hung around with hung out with not not a soul not a soul we got a killer fishery out here yeah a lot of big big fish that come up out of mexico with the summer currents and uh that was about it everyone mainly focused on on fishing but i always had a an inclination towards outdoors and the out, outdoors world with animals and uh, yeah. just being able to harvest my own food and stuff like that. So that's where that passion kind of lied. Okay. So it, it's in there somewhere. It just didn't come out for a while. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was a late, a late seed that had sprouted. There you go. Hey, better late than never. Um, so talk to me a little bit about your youth, man. Uh, Southern California beaches and surfing and, and, and hot babes. Was that it? Yeah, I was pretty close. Yeah, I was, um, I just, I grew up surfing. I was captain of my high school surf team. And then I got introduced into snowboarding and, uh, started right out of high school, started traveling the world, snowboarding, jumping from continent to continent, doing, uh, just chasing winter, being, doing a ski bum life. But uh, on my, uh, I got really into backcountry skiing, backcountry snowboarding. And when I, while I was back there, I would come across goats, um, moose, bears, elk, elk galore. And um, that's that's basically where, where that passion has started. I've always wanted to hunt, but actually seeing game up close and personal and able to get close to it was, uh, yeah, that definitely piqued my interest in uh gotcha yeah and then start hunting so yeah so but but 
you're underplaying the snowboard thing because it sounds to me like, I mean, was it part of your career? Like, were you sponsored? Did, did I mean, were you making money off snowboarding? No, I was basically just doing the ski bum life. Okay. Just going from resort to resort, finding a job on the ski resort. So when you work for the ski resort, they give you a free season pass. Just yeah, I was just going going that route. Okay, that's not a bad route, man. I, I if I was to do it over again, I would probably live the bow hunting bum life. To where if I really wanted to go shoot an elk, I'd move to Wyoming for a, a year right and become a resident and then that that would open up some more uh some more opportunities or hey if i wanted to go get an iowa tag you know i live in iowa but if i didn't live in iowa and i wanted to go get an iowa tag i'd move to iowa and hunt big whitetails there and things like that and and so it's cool um at that at that time what what ages were you when you were living that that ski bum life so i started about early early high school okay you know 14 15 16 but then i really started as soon as i turned 18 i was like why drive to the resort when i could wake up go out in my backyard and just you know be be on it right off the bat yeah yeah um so i want to ask this question because uh i've i've seen videos like some of my some of my i was an 80s baby all right. So I mean, I was in the prime of the skateboard videos where I would man, I would rent these these highlight reels, basically, of guys doing all these skate tricks. This was like even before Tony Hawk, where they always had the fisheye lens camera. And there'd be one guy on a like walking or, or riding another skateboard, watching these guys do all the tricks on the skateboards. Did you ever film any of your your stuff and put out videos? Absolutely. I did a lot. I did a lot of that for the backcountry snowboarding and stuff like that. And while I was like the terrain park and yeah, yeah, that was definitely part of the thing. Cause there was a, there was a point where I, I wanted to become a, a prominent figure in the snowboard world. But yeah. then once I got introduced into backcountry skiing, that's all I cared about. And I stopped caring about what other people cared about. And I just wanted to get lost in nature and just, that's awesome. Just find the most incredible places I could possibly get to. And if, and if, you know, like whoever I was with, that's, that's really all I cared about, you know, make, yeah. just making those memories. But yeah, it was, yeah. it was definitely in there. It's, it's the people, man, the people and the experiences are, is what I chase every, every year. Amen. Preach on that one. <laughs> so, um, this backcountry, were were you hiking in to the backcountry, uh, or were you were you getting dropped? Because I've seen some of those uh, some of those backcountry snowboarding videos where or skiing videos where they're getting dropped out of a helicopter, and, and then they're they're making their way down this basically mountainside to get back to the bottom. Yeah, no, I was a uh, I was living off minimum wage, man. I I paid for my rent, paid for my food, and the little couple things on the side and that that was about it i would i would hike hike as far back as possible and get six ten miles in a day and 
Or, you know, you're going, you're going down, and then you're hiking up, and down, and up, and down, and up, and down, and up, and then getting as far back as possible. My goal was to get as far away from the, anybody as I possibly can to where, you know, if I had a rifle on me, I'd be able to pop off a shot, and not a soul would hear. Yeah, yeah, and that all, and that all, that that sense of adventure all started with snowboarding. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Now I know you you mentioned that it was in it was in the back of your mind, but you never really got into hunting um, or, you know, hunting for meat basically until um, uh, after a pretty significant uh, event happened in your life. Why don't you walk us through what, what happened? Yeah. So like I said, I was traveling the world snowboarding and then I, uh, I was working a, a small little summer job. I was only on it for a month just to earn a plane ticket to go down to New Zealand for my next adventure. And I just, I was working construction on a roof and I stepped back off the roof and it was a, a gravel roof and it was about 90 degrees outside. That gravel got really slippery. And then when I stepped back, it slipped and uh, yeah, I fell, fell off the side of the roof. It was only, a 10, 10 foot roof, but the way the way I landed, I landed with my feet up in the air and I hit my shoulders, my shoulders first, and I uh, I snapped my T eight vertebrae. I broke it in about six or seven pieces, and one of the bones got lodged into my spinal cord, and uh, yeah, put put me in a wheelchair for. Who know Who knows how long? I I don't put time stamps on anything nowadays, but uh. Yeah, we'll we'll see where it goes, but yeah, in a wheelchair, and then uh, yeah, that's yeah. where the journey began—the yeah. real journey. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so, you you fell off this roof, you broke your spine. Now you're paralyzed from where about like chest down ish, or yeah, right, yeah, right up, right under the chest, right under the chest, top 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 rib. Okay, cool. Now. And obviously, that's a huge shock to someone who's very active uh, within your life, being able to hike back and, and do all these crazy you know, things and ski and snowboard and obviously work construction. Talk to us a little bit about like your mind state after that happened. Uh, like, Are you that guy who, who just was like, hey, you know what? This is my new life now, positive? Or did you go through like kind of a dark period where, where it, it was just shit for a while? Oh yeah, I'm the first couple of years. I say the first about three to three years were extremely hard. Where you know I I basically given up because I had everything set out. I had my my career set out. I was paramedic. I was doing paramedic schools. I was you know backcountry riding, and in the summertime I'd be hiking way back in the back country with my fly rod and just camping out and just doing all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, I was really dark there for the first three years. And then I'd say even about to about five, you know, you start coming out of it and realize like, all right, you know, I, I gotta get it handled. Yeah. There's a new life here. And, uh, what, so yeah, it was, a uh, it was definitely a culture shock. Yeah. What was that thing that brought you out of the darkness? Was there a person or was there uh, a, a thing that helped you? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'd say it when it was about, I probably, when I finally, like, fully gave in to giving my life over to Jesus, I was, uh, I had, you know, like, just being able to have faith in, in God and, like, having, like, and all these stories and about him healing people and being paralyzed and stuff like that. That was really what, what brought it out. And then from there, I was able to get into to hunting. Yeah. Finally able to do it. Finally having somebody with my that being my uncle taking me out to Kansas just for for a doe hunt. And after my first doe hunt, I got the shakes and the shivers and uh, just back back to that adrenaline dump. And uh, yeah, I think I I finally found my calling and where I wanted to start taking my life in my new direction. That's awesome, man. Um, like I want to, I want to speak on this this new faith that you had just for a moment. Um, and what, like, was there a person? Uh, like, I know your uncle helped you with with the hunting side of things, but when, like, getting you out of the darkness and finding uh, finding the Lord and and all that stuff, was there was there a person or a church that came in and and helped you, or did you go seeking for that? So I, my mom, my mom grew me up in the church, but I, I wasn't really, you know, I had a foot in the door. I kind of dabbled in here a little bit, but as soon as I, you know, once that injury got hurt, then I fully started seeking, seeking God on my own and, uh, really went out there. And I was actually, actually, you know, I like, I went to a lot of, a lot of churches and stuff like that. And not a lot of people really cared mm-hmm. i mean it, it sucks sucks to say but uh it was a they they were just like oh it's in god's timing and then we just would dip you know they throw a cliche at me and then bounce out and it was really one of those self self-taught or self-fulfilling things that i finally was able to get through to it yeah well that's awesome man I, i'm glad because you hear stories of similar things that happen to you that happen to you with other people and they go to the opposite direction, right? They go down the deepest, darkest path. They go through drug use. They go through um, alcohol Mm -hmm. abuse and things like that. And, and you came out on the other end, which is, which is, which is absolutely awesome. So it sounds to me like you had a great support system in your life. Yeah, my 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 parents were, you know, they were there through the through the darkest of times, and they were constantly trying to get, you know. But it's it's just like like an addiction, you know. I got addicted to being depressed and addicted to being lonely and sad and like that. But my parents were always there trying to get me out of it, trying taking me places, you know. If I mentioned something, they'd be like, "Hey, yeah, let's go do that." They were, you know. I, I grew up with two two loving parents, so they were 
That's awesome. constantly trying to help me out with that. I was super, super blessed. That's awesome. And how, how old were you at the time of the accident? I just turned 21. Okay. Just turned 21. Okay. And how old are you now? I just turned 35. 35. Okay. All right. So we got this, this window. Uh, you said how many years went by from your accident? Did you say like five years when you, when you went on your first Kansas hunt? Yeah. Five years. Okay. Post injury. Post injury is about four or five years after that. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. So your uncle says, did, was this something that you brought to him or did he bring it to you and say, Hey, you want to go to Kansas with me? Well, I, I knew he was a hunter and I had always, I had had that passion to want to go hunting. And, um, I, I had mentioned it to him one time, like, Hey, you know, if there's ever an opportunity, like just to go quail hunting or whatever, just to get outdoors, outdoors is what the main goal was. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And he, he had come across the family friend who had some property out there, mentioned my story to him. And the guy, the guy was more than willing to let me get out there and, um, put some meat in the freezer. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, so walk us through some of the like logistics of going on that first hunt, because obviously a guy in a wheelchair has to do something different than a guy with two legs, right? So uh, like what what did you have to do in order to find success on that first hunt? Um, being able to... I, like it was my first sense of starting off from scratch had to find the right hotel rooms the right airplane flights never been on an airplane before um and they just getting up into the aisles in the airplane they throw you in this little tiny chair where you have to strap yourself felt like Hannibal Lecter getting <laughs> getting taken through the taken through the airport yeah. but um it you know it goes from everything from that to the to the hotel to just getting outdoors and finding a blind, having to get a blind big enough to get me a wheelchair, my uncle, my dad in there. And, and, uh, yeah, it was just at the very beginning, it was a lot of people having to do a lot of it for me. Mm -hmm. And then eventually like as time progressed and my hunting, my hunting experience grew, I stopped depending on other people for help and, uh, was really really just took it took it full on from there and it's where I'm at nowadays I'm pretty 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 happy pretty stoked do you have uh, a different wheelchair for the outdoors or is it motorized or do you have any uh, like uh, accessories that you have to add or take off of it yeah so I got I now I got a I got a special wheelchair it's got a it's actually got a, a shock system in the back okay so it's you know because going going over logs, rocks, and all that, and having all that compression and decompression on your spine, I'd be I'd be more in pain after going to and from a blind. But uh, I was able to do that, and I put like big mountain bike tires on my on my wheelchair as well because my my regular street tires, you know, they're only inch two inches at the most and a half, and try, trying to put that through, you know. Yeah. sometimes mud and soft you, you wouldn't go anywhere and it'd be a lot of a lot of work for whoever was around me and me on my shoulders and so i, I eventually as you know the evolution of uh my experience and my knowledge of the of the outdoors started using one of those chairs and 
my I don't have an electric one. It's all it's all man made. So that's why I'm I'm in the gym five six days a week, with an emphasis on my shoulders, just to be able to do that myself and yeah. not have to depend on other people. Yeah. So you customized your own wheelchair. Yeah. Awesome. That's awesome, man. Okay, you're in Kansas, right? You 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 get you get into the blind for the first time. Like this is your first hunt ever. Did like. Did you practice much with a, a rifle before that at all? Or did you just kind of go and say, I'm going to point and shoot? Well, I bought a 30 out six. My uncle had emphasized that, you know, get out there and practice as much as possible. So I, I was out there shooting paper targets, but I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for the massive difference of shooting paper to shooting a live animal, not even shooting a live animal, but just, seeing one in front of me and having the opportunity i wasn't ready for you know the heart beating out of my chest the tunnel vision the you, you go deaf you don't hear what anybody's saying yeah that was that was insane so i want you to compare it right compare the adrenaline rush that you were having on this first hunt compared to when you were snowboarding or when you were you know doing your backcountry thing is it similar is it yeah. more uh -huh. With, no not not even close so with snowboarding it's the adrenaline comes in long stretches at a time where you're going down the mountain and it's and you're getting excited the whole time you're hooting and hollering on a good run and you get down to the bottom but after when i harvested that first a massive adrenaline dump just boom like from zero well, I mean, you know, like you start off and you get you get antsy and your heart's beating out of your chest. But after I harvested that dough and the adrenaline dump and my hands were shaking, my yeah, my whole body was shaking. I I couldn't talk. Like it was it was just a dough, but it was a first experience for me. You know what I mean? And it was the first time I had had an adrenaline dump of any kind of magnitude in five years since I got hurt. So yeah. it was. It was insane. I loved it. That's awesome. And you, I, I don't know about you, but from my experience, you want you instantly start wanting more of that, right? I mean, I, I I don't know about you, but I can remember shooting my first doe with a bow, and immediately I was like, I got, I want to do this tomorrow. I want to do this the next day. I want to do this next year. I want to do this every season for the rest of my life. Yeah, everybody, everybody I tell, I, I tell them I can hunt every single day the rest of my life, all day. Yeah. No, no problem. No problem. <laughs> so now I want to talk to you a little bit about like California. So you go on this hunt, you harvest your first doe, you, you come back to California. I mean, what, what is other family and maybe even friends group in in California think about when you go hunting? So a lot of, a lot of my friends and whatnot there, I only have probably two outdoorsman friends okay. that I, that are even interested in that kind of thing. So a lot of them are like, Oh, why can't you, why do you got to kill a poor animal? Why can't you just go to the supermarket? And then I, I run through the spiel, you know, like, well, where, what, what is your supermarket and do you know what it eats yeah. do you know they're getting pumped full of antibiotics do you know they're pumped full of this that this and and 
they don't care. They're perfectly content with that. But yeah. you know, like I'm not. You know, I yeah. want the healthiest food. I want my I want my food to be top notch. And you know, like so uh, a lot of them, a lot of them are like, oh, cool, that's super sweet. But like, I would say a good amount of them are taken aback by it and just like mo- mostly the females yeah. i mean i might throw them under the bus but, but I, i've met some really cool girls since then but right off the bat the original girls that i grew up with had no like background whatsoever in harvesting any kind of animal so yeah i got gotcha. you yeah i mean if you if you're not around it i mean the the i can remember when i was a kid being you know like i was raised on a farm like my babysitters were my grandparents. And so butcher hogs, butcher chickens, you know, Hey, let's load the cattle up and take them to the the processor or, you know, like things had to die for us to eat. Right. And so when you're around that in the farm, you're, you're desensitized by it in a way. And so when you're not around it, like, and you don't ask questions like what these, like these people aren't asking questions. Like, you know, how could you, murder this helpless animal well guess what a pig and a cow they're also helpless animals right and so and so there really is no i mean it's just the method uh, in which you kill them and and where you kill them that's different it's like you know do you want your you know for hogs like for for uh, uh if you're eating a pork chop or a pork loin there's a good chance that they stuff seven of these big hogs into an electrical box shock them to death and then then they go about their way on the processing right like is that kind-hearted but nobody gives a shit about that they only care about what they see out in the world and then uh, some person going and, and murdering them yeah for a lot of them it goes from seeing a picture of a pig to seeing bacon on the plate mm-hmm. they don't register any of that in between stuff Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So you had the adrenaline dump. The first hunt that you went on was a success. Now what? Now I just, that's, you know, like I figured that's all I wanted to do from here on out. So, um, being able to, being able to work and save up money every year, that's just, that's, it was my main goal. And then I came across like, just the animals I wanted, I wanted to check off my list and I just started slowly checking off what I wanted to accomplish in the outdoors and how I wanted to do that. And, uh, it, it was in a constant evolution of animals, tactics, um, areas, states, you know, like species, all that stuff. So I wanted to started checking that off and, uh, yeah. So, so you started a bucket, you kind of put a bucket list together. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. So what was next after this Kansas doe? What was next on the list? I was able to from the Kansas doe. I, I did so I did that for a couple of years consistently before I started actually venturing out and doing animals. And I, the next one on the list was a uh, kind of jumped up big. I went on a helicopter hog hunt. Down in Texas. <laughs> I love it. We're down in Texas? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Out of a out of a city called College Station. Yep. Yep. Um <laughs> I look at that and I feel like 
a helicopter hog hunt is one of the closest things to fighting in a war without fighting in a war. You know what I mean? Like hanging out of a helicopter, shooting like big guns at running targets. Like walk, right. tell me about that experience. Yeah. I, so our captain or our pilot was an ex ex military for, you know, helicopter pilot. It got up and so all I had, I had probably like a, it was about six inches wide, not six, but it was like about six inch belt, yellow belt that strapped me to the helicopter I had both of my legs hanging out the, the side of the helicopter. Um, that was the only thing that was holding me. And I was like, oh, this guy, you know, it's going to be a mellow helicopter ride. We're going to see these hogs. No, this guy, this guy, bombing on. Like, like, oh, my gosh. Dude, you know, like some expletives definitely came out of my mouth. Like, dude, like you could have warned me a little bit. you know. And, but it, it was it was absolutely amazing, you know, and like just going into the forest, rounding up the hogs and then they push the hogs out into the field. And then it was just like, you know, you're, you're shooting 30, 30 round mags. And I, I was just bah, 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 mag, bah, bah, mag, bah, bah, mag. And I, people are like, Oh, how many hogs did you get? I'm like, I lost track after probably 15, 20 of them. Dude. Like, but yeah, it was, it was, it was cool too. Cause I got to do it with my niece and she was kind of going through a hard time at the time. And, uh, she's, in, she's an army medic and, okay. uh, you know, I was able, able to bring her along and bless her in a time of need. And, uh, yeah, we just, oh, that's awesome. yeah, we, we were, we were stacking them, man. It was cool. So, uh, so you rec- would recommend that to anybody? A hand, hands down, hands down. Yeah. It's a, it was a little pricey, but I, I'm a big fan of the Outdoors channel, and I saw a guy doing it, and I was like, no way. I was like, I am on that. So, so yeah, we got this. I highly, highly recommend it. That was one of the funnest things I've ever done in my life. Dude, that's awesome. Um, All right, so you went on a helicopter hog hunt. I see you have an antelope and a nice whitetail buck behind you. Tell me those stories. So that white, that white tail, that's my biggest buck is 164 and seven eighths inches. Um, that was a cool story. We're out in Kansas, same place I got that doe. And we get out into the blind. It's just me and my dad. We get out there around 12 o'clock after, after the morning hunt, we went back, got a sandwich and got right back out there. Um, uh, you get back. So when we're sitting in the blind and we have a corn feeder, probably a hundred, 120 yards in front of us. And they, uh, this doe comes out of the out of our left our left peripheral and you know i'm I'm tapping my dad on the leg so he don't say anything and he he knows the cue of what that means so the doe comes out she's just moseying along moseying along she gets about 50 yards out to that feeder and i catch something coming out of that same spot in the bushes right where she had come out was this this you know, mm-hmm. the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life. You know, 164 for me, it's, that's a that's no joke in my book. But it's a he came down with his head down, licking his nose, sniffing, put his put his nose up in the air, licking his nose. So from what from all the research I did in my experience up until then, I felt like you know that that previous Joe was obviously in heat, and this this buck had known it and. At that time in Kansas, it was about the tenth day in December, so it was around the second rut out there. And uh, 
this guy comes out and he gets about 30 yards to the blind and I go and he gets in front of me. I get my crosshairs on him with my, with my aught six and I go, and yeah, he stops and he looks over at me and I pull the trigger and it's click. <laughs> oh I'm shit. Like, oh my gosh. No, like we had just gotten into the blind and it had probably been at the most when this doe popped out. And I hadn't even racked around yet. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe this is happening. This this is about, you know, seven years after my my initial deer hunt. So I was like, this is the biggest animal I've ever seen in my life. I'm about to blow it because I have a rookie mistake. Yeah. So I just I slowly, slowly racked it. But that so that buck when he lifted up his head to look at me and then he looked straight and he caught eyes on the doe. That doe, that doe saved the hunt. So this buck sees that doe and starts trotting off. Wasn't at a full run, wasn't walking, but was, you know, slight, a slight jog to that doe. The doe sees the buck and takes off full speed off. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. The buck comes and he goes right before he gets into the trees. He stops and looks back. You know, I'm in my mind, he's thinking, you know, like, where was that other buck I heard earlier? I want to make sure I've got some distance between me and him. I don't want to go through his head, but when he stopped and looked back, I had those crosshairs dead to rights and put one right in the boiler room, 30 out six, 180 grains. And, uh, yeah, he went about 40 yards and piled up. Oh my God. Now there's one thing about killing a doe, right? And, and you'll always remember your first deer. But you put right. horns on it, right? It's a bigger animal. What what was that moment like when you so you just shot a gigantic buck? So at at, at that at that point, I was uh I was like, don't get excited, don't get excited, you know. Like you've been, I've so I've I nowhere near that size, but I've shot a buck and I've lost it. Oh yeah, you know, wasn't able to recover it because it it had ran into a body of water, and the body of water was taller than its than its antlers. So I wasn't able to. We weren't able to find it until the water had receded. Landowner went in there and was able to find it later on in the in the winter. But uh, so I wasn't allowing myself to get excited. I was just trying to stay calm as I could. And the landowner, we called the landowner. Him and my dad went out into the field. And they they had run, they were only out there for 10, 15 minutes and they, they had found it and they come back and they found it. And then once, once they found it, like the, the emotion, the emotions and the adrenaline dump after that was just, yeah, it, it was absolutely incredible. You know, like you see my, I was, my hands were shaking and I felt like I was having a seizure. Like, yeah. So was, you, you, it was you didn't go on the recovery. Not, not right, not right off the bat. Uh, the and the and landowner is very, was very picky about making lots of noise in the in in the woods and whatnot. Okay. And uh, he, yeah, that, the wheelchair I had at the time was fairly loud. The the shocks on it were very squeaky and. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. All right, and so when you when you kind of go up to it then. And you're able to put your hands on his antlers for the first time. What, what what did that feel like? It was it was incredible. So with me, where where I'm paralyzed, at, I don't have any trunk control or ab ab muscles. Okay. So my core my core strength is very weak. I couldn't 
it was so big I couldn't even lift lift his head up because of my right. you know the the lack of ab and trunk control but um was able to yeah just putting my hands on hard horns for the first time was uh it was it was cool man and just I couldn't take enough pictures and yeah, I was just—I'm still giddy right now, just talking about it. I got a big smile on my face. How many? So, how many years ago was that then? That guy was in 2017. Okay, all right, 2017. Good. Five year. was a good five year for you. Ago, yeah. All right, um, and then so any other any other deer of that caliber uh, that you've shot since then? I have. I have not. No, I've shot in a couple. Um, smaller whitetail in the one one thirties, yeah. one thirty range around there, but no, yeah, nothing, nothing of that size. Haven't had the opportunity to white whitetail hunt any anywhere uh, that has that kind of genetics. Yeah, so so you've only hunted whitetails in Kansas, right? Yeah, I did a I did a hunt out in uh, Pennsylvania, but wasn't able to connect with anything. So gotcha. Okay. Um, Pronghorn is that a Kansas location too, or is that somewhere else? No, that's actually eastern Eastern Colorado. My niece's husband is a a ranch manager, so he had access to a property that had a water hole on it, and it was the only good water source for several miles. As a not a lot of there weren't a lot of other farms in the area, but this farm that we we're hunting had a a good water source. We put the put the blind out about thirty yards from the water hole, and uh, that was a, that was a cool story too. Because we thought that you know we got a plastic uh, decoy. It was just one of those two dimensional right. ones with spikes in the ground, and and this guy had come up over come up over the hill, and he didn't he didn't like the buck, so he left, and he came back ten minutes later this was all at sunrise right when the sun comes up and this guy comes up over the hill and uh he didn't like it so he left came back 20 minutes later saw that thing hadn't moved and i was like and i was in the blind by myself at that point in time and uh it was my first archery my first archery hunt too so um so we're able yeah i was able to go and get this finally my my niece had come and she got done with her morning shift and she's like you need anything i was like yeah you need to get rid of this two-dimensional decoy and get it out of here so she got rid of it got it brought it back in the blind and this guy this guy had come up come back up over the hill and we come up over the hill to our right and he just he skylined and his it was it was one of the bigger if not the biggest buck in the area and uh he came around behind us i'm just super stoked to have my niece with me that she she was able to look out the back window she's able to tell me all right you can breathe you can move don't move all right area is don't move he's looking don't move all that, that kind of stuff and he got up he got up to probably 40 yards up to that water hole and uh he he so when, when we're in that blind it's middle of august in eastern colorado is about 95 degrees just we're just sweating buckets in this blind and uh this guy comes up and the the water the water trough that had water on it was leaking a little bit so it had a little stream going downhill and this buck had a was eating the foliage off the the fresh foliage out of that water and 
he got about 30 yards, turned turn broadside, and I, I I let one slip right into it. And uh, was, that he went a, about, was that with a bow then? Yeah, that was my, my first archery hunt. Oh, my God. I, that's what I want to talk to you about. I mean, that that's awesome, man. Um, antelope is on my bucket list for sure man i i want to i want to shoot an antelope so bad i missed one in nebraska um in 2014 and it, and then i never went back there again uh, or i never went chasing antelope again but i i definitely want to how what was the the difficulty level for you because i i was thinking about this the other day after you reached out to me and in the last night i was in the backyard shooting my bow and I use a whole bunch of different muscles to draw my bow back, right? Not just my arms and my shoulders, but I'm using my abs. I'm using my back. You know, I'm even using my legs to position myself and things like that. Um, how difficult was it for you to move from a rifle to a compound bow? So with me not having the ab, ab muscles and the trunk control, I have to, so I have to shoot at, at a 90 degree angle my chair's facing one way and my body is facing you know 90 degrees in the opposite direction in order to so like i i can't shoot shooting just straight i have to be at that 90 degree angle or i would tip over yeah you know not having that trunk control and, and then the bow the bow no it doesn't have, anything doesn't have to be very heavy when you don't have trunk control it could just be a couple pounds and it's just without having any trunk control, it's all, you know, I start to fall forward. So I have to sit at a 90 degree angle. I when we were in the blind. I had to just, you know, I have to lock and not move. And I have to lean back, like almost to the point where I'm falling just to counter counterbalance yep. that weight of bow and all that setup. And, uh, yeah. So I've get, getting that done and, um, getting all those, because that, that's the, the the evolution of most hunters, you know. We start off with a rifle, and then you move into the bows and things up there. So I, that's just well, something I wanted to grow at, something I wanted to get better at. And, uh, yeah, once I'm sitting at, sitting at the archery range, our local archery range, because um, where I'm at, you're not allowed to shoot bows within the city limits unless it's out of range. Um, and... Uh, yeah, once I got down the technique, and then it was just practice every single day. Every single day I was at the range, put in work because I wanted to. At that point in time, I wanted I just I wanted to grow. And if I find something that I can't do from being in a wheelchair or being in my position, uh, with my level of injury, and people are like, "Oh, you can't do that. Oh, it'll be super hard." You know, it just puts that much more oh, yeah. emphasis. I'm like, all right, you know what? Screw you. Yeah. Watch this. Do the do it. You know. Yeah. I've been that way so my whole able... life, man. My whole life, right? I, you know. Hey, you can't go snowboarding in the backcountry. Watch me. You know, <laughs> like you can't you can't yep. uh, go hunting in a wheelchair. Watch me. You know, like that's uh, that's that's pretty inspiring, man. Well, it's it. yeah, and it's just constantly people looking down on you just because of your injury, and it's yeah. like. Like I'm still like the same person. I'm still a good dude. Like, yeah. But you, with you looking down on me, that just you know it puts a fire in your heart, fire oh, in your yeah. soul. To just, yeah, to yeah. tell them to kick rocks and watch this. Yeah. And so, how long did it take you to get proficient 
to the point where you're like, I feel comfortable enough with this bow to go and, and start killing shit with it. I'm going, going to the range every single day. I would probably felt confident a couple, couple months in, but it, you know, at the same time, it's like, all right, I'm shooting paper targets. I'm on a, a flat surface. It's uh you don't really, you know, take, you're not able to really take everything into account that in the field and when you're shooting on like flat surfaces and whatnot like that. So right. there's a couple of things that I had to deal with. Gotcha. So your first archery hunt was a success. Now you're, now you're multi-species at this point, right? You got a, you got an antelope, you got a, a, a whitetail. Are you, like, how many, how many archery kills do you currently have uh three three uh, and are all of those antelope no two pronghorn and one gator one alligator <laughs> yeah i ran i got a, i got an alligator down in uh lake okeechobee florida went down there and met up with a pretty popular guy on instagram uh python cowboy i don't know if you guys if you ever anyone's ever heard of him but uh yep he does a lot of predation hunts down there and he had come across some predator some nuisance tags and he i you know got in contact with him flew down there and got on a boat and we were on it was probably like a 19 foot center console boat and we went and i don't know if anyone's listens familiar with gator hunting but we went out there and we had like a, a raw chicken and wrapped wrapped some strong line around it so we were going about 400 pound fishing test wrapped it around this this rubber chicken and uh we went out there glassing for the gators and i had no idea what i was looking for i was just seeing a bunch of bushes in the water and it was getting frustrating and then once i saw my first gator then my my eyes were open and i started seeing them everywhere and you know like they that area that we were hunting has more gators than anywhere in the in america right there so like my my mind was blown just seeing all these animals everywhere and uh, we we're able to find one and we went through the through the bale open uh, on the on the rod drove the boat about a couple hundred yards past the gator and flipped the lever and just started you know just started jigging basically like bouncing that that chicken up and down on the water and the gator honed in on the vibrations and swam over to this chicken and the gator didn't have any or the chicken didn't have any hooks in it but with the alligator what they you know they have their mouths and they have this flap that closes so when they're when they eat their eat their food water doesn't go down into their esophagus so he, he put the, the chicken in his mouth and then he threw his head back and when he threw his head back that flap opened up and the chicken went down into his gullet and he was able to to go and digest it so he went down and he swam down to the bottom of the lake and and he was just sitting there so we threw on the trolling motor crept up quietly right on top of him and was able to reel reel the gator up as best as i could you know i had to i'd have a little bit of help on that one not having the court the trunk control and he got up to the top and i shot shot my bow and um so with a gator you're supposed to put a small there's like a small diamond shaped head right behind their eyes and that's where the brain is you're supposed to go for the brain well i i had missed the brain 
quite significantly. Um, it went through the, my arrow went through one cheek and out the other and that gator did not like it. He started thrashing <laughs> his tail, tail was bashing up against the boat. And so I'm not familiar, too familiar with boat language, but there's, I'm pretty, the hole is where like the low part of yep. it. And then there's that, that upper ledge on the front of the boat where, you know, people stand and bass fish from. Yeah. So we had, they had me up on that, up on that ledge. And my dad was holding, holding me when that gator was pissed off. He started thrashing and our whole boat was moving around and everybody's holding on stuff, holding on for dear life. And, uh, and after that, he, um, the gator came around and the outfitter handed me a harpoon. So with the deal, the deal is, you know, you get line A in there and line B. So if line A breaks, you have B and then line C and all those other lines. So he handed me this, uh, handed me, and I, I was able to throw a harpoon from the boat and get it into the gator. And that, that gator was, uh, that, that got him, that harpoon was able to get him. And, uh, yeah, he, he moved around slightly after that. And then they have what's called a bang stick just to finish him off. It's like a yeah. six foot rod with a 357 Magnum round at the very tip. And it's just like kind of like a spear and you just, yeah. you jab him and I, was able to jab him just to just to finish him off, you know, so he wasn't yeah. suffering too much. And uh, yeah, he he went belly up, and we brought him on the boat. And yeah, he was How he was, was, he was he? a big old boy, eleven foot six inches. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. dinosaur man. Yeah, that's a fact. That's a fact. Okay, so you're now you're starting to go into uh, almost like the North American slam route right where in next couple of years you're going to be killing everything from grizzly bears to uh i don't know wild turkey and things like that what what's uh what's next on your list um with with season coming up i'd obviously love to get on a bull elk yeah. i mean now where i'm at it would be cool to get him with a rifle but it would be absolutely a goal to get him with my bow you know i've yeah. been trying to up the kinetic energy on impact on my bow um putting putting and i've been doing a lot of 3d archery now going up into the local mountains and getting into weird predicament shooting wise like you know yeah angles and putting one wheel up on a rock and being tilted and just trying to put myself in real world situations and to be the most proficient archer i possibly can yeah um that's yeah so the elk uh my my dream hunt is a river float moose mine too um mine too yeah man i'm sure probably a couple hundred thousand others out there as well <laughs> uh yeah so i'm i'm save, saving money for every every piece i sell and every you know everything everything i do i, I save about 20 percent of that check to uh to my moose hunt and uh just would love to do that elk moose you know I, I have an opportunity at turkey down in alabama this this coming up turkey season next spring and uh yeah whatever i was able to get a black bear actually too i've harvested a black bear out in maine that oh, was a awesome. that was an in, intense story as well man that's awesome i'm happy for you man i, I it's it's awesome that you know you could have went you could so so just to take a backward step for a living, you're a woodworker. 
I, mean, I do woodworking and sports photography. Okay. All right. So, like, uh, people playing sports, you'll take pictures of them. Yeah, mainly. So, where I'm from, the biggest sport out here is surfing. Okay. And since I already kind of have a background in there and friends and connects and yep. within that industry, it's mainly my main focus is on surfing right now. Yeah. Okay. And then what's the woodworking that you do? So I'm, I've been, fo- I do what's called a uh, resin, resin work and like with like resin river tables. And oh, yep. I've seen those. Yeah. I've been doing, doing a lot of those and I've been specializing in a lot of like hunt mainly hunting and patriotic pieces because i've found that that's where my heart lays i'm sure i could make you know sell more pieces do another routes but i it's you know if you're not enjoying your work then you're you know you're you're working so i'm I'm doing something i'm kind of passionate about so sounds like you're busy yeah it's a it's an it's an every everyday job you know and then on top of uh on top of you know just trying to get more proficient in my my outdoors life and yep. working awesome. and content creating with that as well yeah man that's awesome man i'm very happy for you um man hopefully all of the the bucket list comes true man i really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and share your story it's a good one and uh, i'm so happy that you found hunting man and um and that you you've i'm on we share the same passion and you've fallen in love with it and, and are able to tell your story so that others, you know, if anybody else hears this, they can say, you know, share with a friend, Hey, you may be in a dark place hunting or the outdoors could, could help you, man. And so, uh, thanks again for coming on, man. Uh, no, yeah, I'm super stoked. That was my whole goal, goal on getting out there and, you know, putting out the word just, you know, cause where I was and where I am, I, hundreds of people who have been in that same position so yeah if this reaches anybody you know feel free to reach out to me too my instagram is t8 underscore outdoorsman if anybody's got any questions on how to do it how to prepare for hunts how to whatever whatever the question is you know like send it my way i'll 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 answer you in a heartbeat no worries absolutely absolutely appreciate that all right, Derek, man, again, thanks for your time and uh, keep grinding and, and keep me posted on uh, on your success and failures throughout the, throughout the, uh, the seasons, man. I, I want to follow your story. Thanks, buddy. I'll be on it. I appreciate your time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of another episode. Man, huge shout out to Derek, huge shout out to Justin, huge shout out to Brett for taking time out of their day, hopping on this episode and, uh, and, and talking deer with, with us and, and hunting in general. And, and uh, man, really what this is, is if you know someone who's struggling with just negative energy or needs to step away from their crazy life, man, take somebody hunting, take somebody fishing, take somebody on a hike right do something out of the norm that gets them outside I'm, I'm an advocate that being outside can help solve some of your problems 
and uh, I'm a true believer in that. So uh, I just want to send a shout out to all of you guys for taking time out of your day to listen and download and, and just follow along and be participants in this community that we've created. And a huge shout out to Tethered, Wasp, Vortex, Code Blue, Woodman's Pal, and Huntworth. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. And as always, man, if you're going to be in a tree, wear your damn safety harness. Good vibes in, good vibes out, and we will talk to you next time.